Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Tate. We have a great show for you this week. Nick Lacapo joins me for a discussion of the Jackie U effect fright. And who knows, if you stick around through the show, I might throw you a discount code for this gimmick-free haunted deck just because I like you so much. The big story this week is that I had a chat with Steve Thompson and Will Houston via Skype about VideoChatMagic.com. This website is making waves with some really interesting content by some really heavy hitters. Contributors include Max Maven, Luke Germain, and Larry Fong. Plus, we'll talk about the virtual space as a new venue for magic. Before all that, Jessica Jane Peterson joins me via Skype for the top five under five. Jessica Jane Peterson, thanks so much for joining us here on the Penguin Magic Podcast for the top five under five. Hit me with your top five magic tricks that you've ever seen performed. Let's start with number five. Okay, number five. Number five would have to be not necessarily a trick, but mm-hmm. Jay Marshall performing Lefty. Oh yes, Jay Marshall performing okay. Lefty is is. Oh yeah. It's it's a wonderful routine. It's so good that if I had my way, it makes me so happy. <laughs> it is just like a really joyful piece to watch, which is one, is which is one of the reasons that it it has sort of stood the test of time. And I think on the book, uh, what is what is the cover of the book? Is is it beating a dead horse or? Yes. Yeah, yes. he's actually got Lefty on the cover of the book that I think Magic Inc. put out. It's a it's a really fantastic book, too. Yeah. Uh, do you remember the first time you saw Jay Marshall perform Lefty? It was towards the end of his life. I'm so fortunate I got to see him, though. It was at Abbott's get-together in, I believe, 2004. Oh, man. It, that must have been just... So you got to see it in person, too, not just on oh, video. Oh, yeah. Any of our listeners should definitely go and try and look up uh, Jay Marshall performing Lefty because it is it is really just a really enjoyable piece. All right, let's move on. Give me number four. Okay, Doug Henning doing the newspaper tear. What in particular attracts you to Doug Henning doing the newspaper tear? Because it's an effect that so many people do, and it's one of those effects where I hear people go, oh, yeah, the newspaper tear. Mm-hmm. But when you watch Doug Henning do that tear... I don't care who you are or how many times you've seen it. It's magic. He definitely had like a different way of approaching magic that that I think is is really interesting because of how he viewed the world. So he's it, it's, yeah. it's a very like it's another sort of joyful piece to watch. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Excellent. Uh, so I, I can sense sort of a theme here, even though we've only got two. The the, the magic that you like to watch is just not necessarily like. Uh, hardcore or knuckle busting or anything like that or deeply fooling but just it seems like you liked things that just like provide you with a deep sense of happiness and simple joy almost yes well that's what it's all about right so those are my favorites okay let's move on to number three your your third favorite piece of magic you've seen someone perform okay i am i am privileged to to be quarantined with this person so um David Minkin does an incredible routine about time that you can only see him perform in person. And it is truly one of the most beautiful, well thought out pieces of magic I've ever seen. Do you, uh, do you make David perform this on a daily basis so that you can (laughs) sort of pretend to go back in time? Actually, I have made him do it. (laughs) (laughs) I I swear to you. 
I believe I've actually seen David perform this piece, because uh, I, I met David at the Magic Castle a number of years ago, and if it's the one I'm thinking of, I hate to be so vague for our, our listeners, but it, if you ever have a chance to see David Minkin perform, and perform this specific piece, it is really beautiful. Yes, it's it's gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. And he's also in my second favorite piece of magic, too, so you'll All hear right. about another one. Hit me, hit me with your, your second favorite piece of magic, uh, already teasing the fact that it's David Minkin, so I know it's going to be good. <laughs> David Minkin's coin routine. Oh my God. It is amazing. It really is an amazing piece. It's actually one of the first times, with the, I remember seeing it in the close-up gallery, and it was the first time I ever wanted to perform a Coins Across was because of the, the routine that he performs. Yeah, it's, it is so incredible. And I'm, I'm so privileged since, you know, we've, we've spent two years together mm-hmm. to have seen him do that piece in every situation, for every type of person, whether it's a corporate thing, a private party, just friends, randomly out. Like, he's done it at the McDonald's drive through mm-hmm. Like, it has happened everywhere. And to see him do that routine for so many people and still absolutely knock my socks off fooling me with it is just incredible. It's so good. It is so good. It's definitely one of those uh, coin routines that you should, if you're interested at all in Coins Across, you need to see uh, David Minkin perform it because even when you know the principles behind Coins Across, his structure has in such a way that it will fool you. It's it's that good. Yeah, and he has a lot of original segments to it because mm-hmm. I remember him telling me that even his ending for it, he didn't want to do something that anyone else had already done. Mm-hmm. So he created his own method and his own way, which is what makes it stunning. I haven't thought about that coin routine in years, and, and I'm, I'm, I'd love to see it today, because I haven't seen it in over a decade, so I'm sure it's changed and grown and evolved. You need to see him. If uh, When all this stuff finally goes away, he's been doing a show at the Biltmore in downtown LA, mm-hmm. and if you get a chance to see his full two-hour show, oh my god, it's one of the greatest magic shows I've ever seen. Truly. All, all right, we're at number one. What is your favorite piece of magic you've ever seen, Jesse? Lance Burton's Dove Candle and Card Act. Oh my God, it's uh, my favorite. It is, and this is the piece that made him uh, the first American to win FISM, I believe. Yes, yes, yes. It is. Uh, it, it's so wonderful to watch. I, I haven't, I unfortunately, never got to see it in person. Uh, I actually went to Monte Carlo the weekend after uh, he had closed his show, which was unfortunate. Oh. Uh, but watching it on video, when you see those doves fly out over the audience and then come back, it's it was like really the first time anyone had seen that done, and it's it's just gorgeous. Oh yeah, his gloves to dove when he takes his gloves off and he throws them, mm. and I and I challenge all <laughs> all the kids on this. That is one of those acts where you can watch it over and over and over again, and there will always be something that fools you. It is. I, I totally understand why it is your uh, number one piece of magic you've ever seen. Well, Jessica Jane Peterson, thanks so much for joining me here on the Penguin Magic Podcast. Thanks to Jessica for giving us her top five under five, and be sure to jump back and listen to us reminisce about our lives as theater brats in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee during episode 43. Now, on to the main event. This is one of the more timely episodes of the podcast because it concerns an interesting website that was created right after country started to shut down all over the world due to the COVID-19 threat. Will Houston and Steve Thompson saw the emergence of magic in the virtual space and started having serious philosophical discussions about what that meant and how our art form would grow in that space. 
we talk not only about the website videochatmagic.com, but also have a very serious discussion about the emergent technologies and their effect on magic and the artistic quandaries magicians are now finding themselves in, as well as the charity all of the money from this project is going towards. Will and Steve join me via Skype for this fascinating discussion, and now you get to join our conversation. Steve Thompson, Will Houston, thanks so much for joining me here on the Penguin Magic Podcast. Before we actually get into our conversation, uh, let's have the listeners know who we're talking to. Uh, Steve, can you say hello? Hi there. How are you? And Will, can you say hello? Hello. How are you? Excellent. Thanks so much for joining me. Uh, I, I wanted to have you guys on uh, because I got tuned into a, web- you guys, a website you guys created called Video Chat Magic. This is, can, you, can we first start this by telling the listeners a little bit about what Video Chat Magic is and, and what the website is, is doing? Because I, I think it's really interesting and I, I want to hear you guys uh, describe it. Absolutely. Um, So this all started um, thanks to coronavirus, COVID-19 and lockdown. Uh, And fairly early on during that, uh, perhaps late March, early April, um, Steve called me up and mentioned that he'd been doing some workshops and bits on Zoom and that it had challenges and a steep learning curve and all of this sort of stuff, but also that it seemed like a place where there might be exciting things that could be done using magic. Um, So we had a little bit of a chat. We both sort of got a bit excited about the idea of magic that would work well in this setting. And I thought that maybe if we were doing this, particularly given its framing uh, with coronavirus and so much difficulty in the world, uh, we could do it as a charity project. So at the end of the phone call, we sort of agreed that we would do something to do with charity uh, using magic and magic that could be done via video chat uh, fora like Skype and Zoom and so forth. And then the project kind of evolved from there. Uh, Steve, do you want to say a bit about the site itself? Yeah, sure. So we yeah, so we started off um, back in March and uh, we reached out to some of our friends and some people we know in the magic community and asked for contributions. And we were a bit stunned by the level of generosity that uh, we received. And we started filling up uh, the website. So you, you get, when you join up, you get a access to the entire back catalogue, but you also get two new items a week, which is what we've pretty much committed to producing. And we have currently about 35 tricks, tools, essays, uh, pieces of software, uh, concepts, all all on there. And uh, it's just growing week on week. And uh, we're really exploring how to make magic, how to craft magic for video chat that isn't just a poor cousin of in-person stuff, but that is actually specifically designed to take advantage of this new performance space. I, so I, we're, we're trying to do, we're, yeah. No, no, I, I want to get uh, over to the uh, that topic of crafting magic that is not just a poor facsimile of what you would normally do in a moment, but I wanted to sort of jump back a little bit and touch on the, the people who have submitted to this because the names are rather enormous. I mean, you've got Max Maven, Luke Tremay. Uh, I think there's even an interview with Larry Fong, the, the brilliant... Um, uh, director of photography uh, are, are are all of these submissions from the, are they from them or are they like uh, interviews that you've conducted or pieces that you've been uh, given from them that you two have reworked so um, most of the time we've got in touch with people and sort of explained that we're doing this project perhaps shared some of the stuff that we've got in it already and asked if they might be able to contribute something mm-hmm. and some people like Max or Jim Steinmeier uh, have got back and said, oh, yeah, there's a thing that I think I can give you. 
and then they've written a piece for us which has sort of come pretty much as you see it Mm -hmm. Uh, in a few other cases I suppose we've addressed it more by saying we think there's a a need here Mm -hmm. and who might be able to help us um, fulfill that need and so if you're doing magic via video chat uh, you're effectively having to compose shots of everything that you're doing. You're having to think about how you light everything that you do. You're having to think about how all of that stuff comes across. Uh, Larry Fong is a, a wonderful cinematographer who's worked on some really huge films, Watchmen, 300, things like that. He also is a, a passionate amateur magician. And so through a mutual friend, we got in touch with him. And then we've sort of done a Q&A, I suppose, mm-hmm. where we've tried to ask the questions that we think people would have about how you can film magic in a video chat context, how you like magic in a video chat context, uh, and how that stuff works, so that we can then present a piece saying, if you just like showing magic to your friends, then here's a way that you can make it look as good as possible with the laptop you already have and a, a table light. If you're doing professional shows and you want to spend hundreds of dollars on this, here's a way that you can get a better camera, you can get some hardware, get some lighting, and make things look really kind of high-end for a commercial setting, uh, and trying to address all those different versions. So in Larry's case, we had that question, I suppose, that he's able to help us answer, and we have a second part helping develop that further coming up soon. And then in some of the other cases, we've had complete pieces from people. The Larry Fong interview is something that I think that everyone who is doing anything video chat-wise should definitely take a look at. Uh, cause even, even if you're not doing magic, I have to say, if you're like on a Skype call and, uh, just knowing not to have a light source directly behind you so that you don't look like a silhouette is, I feel like that is that, that Larry Fong interview is required reading for anyone who's going to appear on a webcam ever. Yeah. yeah and I think the, go for it. Sorry, I, yeah. I was just, I was just thinking that we did sit down quite early on and really try and figure out what are the major challenges of this this space and what are the big questions and in order to answer those questions who do we know that could most help us so slightly later on in the project we we turned our attention to scripting you know it's a pretty big component of of performing any magic uh on it in any medium and we're like okay so who do we know who's a bit of an expert in scripting and lo and behold we've got pete mccabe uh, helping us with that so it's pretty it's, we're, we're picking off challenges one by one or we're picking off components of this uh this space one by one it's not um it's not just whoever sends us stuff. That's that's what we go with. It's uh, it is it is I think well curated is is an excellent way to think about it. But let's actually get back to that poor facsimile uh, or poor cousin of uh, uh, the real world tricks because I think that's something that you guys have attempted to address. And I'd be interested to know your thoughts on how you would go about creating magic for the virtual space because it does seem to be a new and different venue. Than anything, than anyone has really experienced before. I think that's absolutely right, and I think the thing you said about it being a new and different venue is really a key part. Um, so fairly early on in lockdown, chatting with friends who are doing shows via video chat, a lot of them were saying things like, "Oh, you know, I can I can still do the SpongeBob routine that I would have done in my walk around gigs." Um, but I can't do the bit where it jumps into their hand because it's on video chat, so instead I just do that bit between my hands. Uh, And a lot of these things are about how existing material that people already did and had been designed to work as well as possible in an existing context Mm -hmm. could be moved into the video chat space. Uh, And I think the thing that becomes apparent with that 
is that if you're taking material from a setting where it works really well and then trying to work out how you can minimize the damage to it when you move it to a new space, the thing that you're guaranteed is at least some damage. It may only be a small amount, but it's all about minimizing damage rather than making the thing work as well as possible. Uh, the other alternative is to say that in the same way you would choose different material for a formal close-up show compared to a walk-around mix-and-mingle close-up show, or you would choose different tricks for a stage show compared to a close-up show, uh, you would choose different tricks for a video chat show compared to a TV show or any of those other settings. Uh, and so we tried to approach things by saying that video chat has unique opportunities and unique challenges. Mm -hmm. um, you don't get an easy live atmosphere the same way you do if you've got a thousand people in a theatre, uh, but you can show a thousand people something that normally you could only show people one-on-one -on -one because it's just too small to see in any other setting. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't get the excitement of people being in a, a venue or something like this, but you can bring people into your own venue where everything is set up exactly how you want it to do everything you want to do. And so by trying to say what are the opportunities and what are the problems with this space and then how can you best solve them or take advantage of them, uh, we tried to develop magic, I suppose, which is as good as possible in this setting rather than just okay as a version of something that already exists elsewhere. It's interesting. It seems like it's the same type of problem that a close-up performer has when they move to stage or when a stage performer moves to close-up and they're just sort of totally cast to the wolves to try and figure out because they grew up in this one environment. But now everybody's sort of on a level playing field, but they're coming from a very different background because the it's when you have a stage performer moving to a virtual show or a close-up performer moving to a virtual show, their backgrounds are influencing the material choice. And I, I, I'm not necessarily certain that I know that one of those backgrounds is better suited for virtual, but the one thing that I think that both types of performers are dealing with is that the virtual space is very different. Right, and I think also that's the thing which makes it fantastically exciting to work in. Mm -hmm. uh, I certainly can't think of another field of magic or another performance space that basically up until six months ago, nobody had spent any time thinking about. Yeah. Uh, you know, you go, I want to do close-up magic. Well, people have been writing about how to do that well for 500 years. Mm -hmm. Same thing with stage magic, same thing with parlor magic. So it's quite something really to kind of come in on day zero with this and be able to say, nobody's thought about this particularly. There's huge room for increasing incredibly quickly and figuring out things in a really significant way that hadn't been figured out. I think I would disagree with you a little bit in the idea that no one has figured it out because... This space has, this entertainment venue has actually existed for quite some time. It's just that magic wasn't commonly done in it. When, uh, when I take a look at what video game streamers are doing, this is a group of people who has really figured out the virtual space. And I'm often surprised that I don't see magicians looking towards what some of these gamers have been doing because they're engaging virtual audiences in a way that is very different than what you would see with like a television show for example, even a live television show, uh, where I think that you guys are really doing interesting work is making the magic work, but not necessarily the enter entertainment aspect. Uh, if I'm, I'm not quite saying that right. Not that you guys aren't making the entertainment aspect work. I'm just saying that we, we already have a template for this. We just need to figure out how to f have our art form work inside that template, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I guess I was being a typical magician by starting off by saying the whole world is magic and nobody's thought about this before. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's what I meant to say, but didn't. 
That's absolutely the most magical way of thinking, is that no one's thought about this before. No, it's, uh, so I think what, we, what, we've, what we've discovered, though, is quite interesting, is that we keep coming up against these, these assumptions that we, we make, and mm-hmm. then over time, by kicking it around with each other or by through yeah. the, the contributors or whatever, we, we realize, actually, that's just not true. It, it's, mm-hmm. It is possible to really engage people in this medium. Uh, it is really possible to, to connect um, and the more we chip away at these assumptions, the more we're really realizing how much potential is here. I mean, we, we began thinking, I, mean, I think a lot of people would imagine that, you know, it's going to be process or pr- procedure heavy tricks yeah. and that kind of stuff. And, and that's just, we have, we definitely don't believe that anymore. I mean, the stuff we can, we're, we're seeing that can be done in this space simply could never be done as cleanly, as directly or mm-hmm. as powerfully. Um, as it can be done here, it couldn't be done like that in person. So there's these huge opportunities as well as the challenges. It's interesting. As I see more and more shows, I find more and more people moving further away from the process-heavy stuff because some of the early shows that I mm. saw were so process-heavy and I just like, I I wanted to leave the room, but I couldn't because they could see me on webcam. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's hardly a, a measure of great entertainment and engagement is that the only reason people are still paying attention is because they can be seen. It's actually a high bar. Uh, I wanted to uh, shift the conversation again because you'd mentioned software. Sorry to interrupt, but this week the show is brought to you by Jackie Hughes Fright. Nick LaCapo joined me for a discussion of this gimmick-free haunted deck. Nick, you know our buddy Jackie Yu creates some insanely visual magic, and he has a new release out with us called Fright. It is not scary. This is a good trick. (laughs) This is a this is a really neat no gimmick haunted deck that you could do with basically any deck of cards, shuffle deck in use. Really cool. And there really is no gimmicks. The the method is really clever. Yeah, no gimmick haunted deck is a, is a game changer, really. Um I know we all know haunted pack is a super super strong trick. And that's where the card is selected, it goes back into the deck and then the pack eerily moves and cuts itself and reveals the selected card from the center of the pack. Normally to do that, you need special things. Now, the original handlings are all fantastic and they do work, but here's one you can do with a borrowed shuffled deck and card box. It's the only requirement. You're just going to need a card box for it. The Um, other thing I'll say is that there's been, there've been a few other no gimmick haunted pack sort of style effects but they were always like really touchy and like you had to like move your hands in like just the right way. And, right, and right. there, and that there was sense. like some stuff that you had to do to like make one of the cards gimmicked. And this like Jackie has solved a lot of those problems. Um, it's not as hands off as a lot of the others cause you are putting it on the card box, but what he's done is make something that is, it, it's very visual and very interesting and it really gets those big reactions. One interesting thing about it being like, it's not as hands off um, because you have to, you're balancing the card box. You're balancing the deck of cards on the card box and that's where the animation happens. But you can weirdly do it off of a surface, right? You can do it not on the ground or not on a table. You could actually do this in walk around without having to put the deck down somewhere, which is really, really really different from, from all the other uh, all the other versions out there as well but you know for the price of ten dollars with mm-hmm. a great instructional video that goes in you know depth on a lot of different things 
this is just a home run uh, download, yeah. in my opinion. I totally understand why so many people have been looking at it, and I hope a lot of other people look at it because it's it's really an interesting effect that that might uh, sort of send you off in new directions the way you think about how a deck of cards is used and how you can create these cool animation effects without any extra weird stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm actually getting excited. Right, I mean, I already know this is a good trick, but just the idea of like me getting ready for a close-up strolling gig at some point and being like, oh, well, well, maybe I'll do Haunted Pack and I don't need to go find, you know, my other old special stuff that I, I would use to typically do this. This is just an anytime, anywhere Haunted Pack. I mean, that's hard. It's amazing to say, but that's exactly what this is. That was Fright by Jackie Yu, available at penguinmagic.com. Be sure to check out this download. Jackie teaches a great trick, and then I come in at the end to give you some additional handlings and tips like how to perform this effect out of a peak. Plus, as a thank you to listening for the show this week, when you purchase Fright, be sure to enter the discount code PENGUINPOD. That's PENGUINPOD, P-E-N-G-U-I-N-P-O-D, all one word for a discount on this digital download. That code is only good until the next episode and just for you listeners of the podcast. Now, back to my conversation with Stephen Will. Uh, I wanted to uh, shift the conversation again because you'd mentioned software that you guys were um, uh, pushing here. And, and I, I want to I be cautious about how I say this because I want to talk method a little bit. You know, this podcast is sort of designed for magicians, but there's a, a piece of software that you guys uh, use occasionally in the, uh, in the site that essentially creates, um, I'm trying to think of the best way to put this, but uh, real-time CGI. And it's, uh, it's a very, very interesting piece of software. And I'm wondering how the use of that is different in a virtual show than if it were on, say, a television show or a Netflix special. Steve, do you want to have a go? Um, so I think the primary difference is because they know that it's live. Mm-hmm. And I mean really live, as in interactive. So if I if I have a, a wine glass beside me and I say to you, you know, this would be an awful trick, but let's say I say to you, um, na- name the first playing card that comes to your mind, mm-hmm. and I'm holding the wine glass and it's in full view, and you say the three of clubs, and I, I missed the... The, the glass with my breath the same way you might a mirror mm-hmm. and you can clearly see the three of the whatever card i can't even remember what card you said was. you see that card appear on on the glass in real time mm-hmm. that's a that's a pretty strong trick and it doesn't speak necessarily to cgi mm-hmm. it's just something that we can achieve with this software so we're able to do these things um Whereas if you were to see that on Instagram, YouTube, or, or TV, mm-hmm. it wouldn't make the slightest bit, slightest bit of sense because there's nobody to ask that question to, name a card. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if they ask the, the, the person in the studio, more often than not, I think we'd assume that they're a stooge or it's mm-hmm. set up in some way. So I think what's, what's really powerful about this is to use the software in such a way that really takes advantage of the fact that it's live and mm-hmm. genuinely interactive. Uh, once you stop doing that, then you're in really risky territory mm-hmm. of it being well that's just a camera trick yeah it's it's interesting because the the issue with these virtual shows that i'm seeing is that uh, uh at least it, where, where i see the danger is is that personal computing is becoming so powerful that you can do almost like michael bay style uh <laughs> movie effects in real time in a zoom or a skype chat and does that damage the audience's notion of magic while they're watching it 
or is it just one of those things that you must be really careful and it has to be a very case by case scenario where, you know, if I, with stuff like a vanish, it needs to be practical. Whereas, uh, with other things, uh, other, other types of effects, you could use this, uh, sort of digital, uh, witchcraft to, to help you out. Am I, is that, does that make sense at all? Or like, I, or am I, or is this something that I'm just too worried about because I'm, becoming old and cranky in my late 30s <laughs> in your late 30s there's yeah. something very nice about being old and cranky in your 30s <laughs> I'm, I'm aspiring to get as cranky as I can as young as possible um, <laughs> and, and, I hate, and I hate you both because I'm in my 40s <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I think the use of this tool is quite interesting because it sort of it feels like a, a moral question, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, in the same way as using CGI for TV magic or something like this does. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, it's very clearly just part of the framework which every magic trick exists within, mm -hmm. uh, which is that there's a set of things which the audience believe to be the case, mm -hmm. and there's a set of things which you as the performer know to be the case, mm -hmm. and in the difference between those exists room for method which lets impossible things seem to happen mm -hmm. uh, and at the moment i think a zoom call or a skype call or something like this feels like something which people understand and they understand that it happens in real time and it's live and what you see happen is what is happening and because they have that set of assumptions around it um you can utilize those to make other things happen so if you can do something which interferes with the audio or interferes with the video, that can be a methodological tool. Mm. Uh, one of the intriguing things about that, though, is the way that an audience's trust, I think, is built up, which is that people don't trust the medium because of what you do. Uh, they trust the medium because of what everyone else does that they know could be done. Yeah. So in the same way as a lot of television magic now suffers the it could have been cgi it could have been a camera trick mm -hmm. sort of explanation that's not necessarily because the person you're watching has used camera tricks it's because people have a sort of awareness of camera trickery as something which exists in the tv zeitgeist mm -hmm. uh, and i guess people performing in a video chat context have to be careful about how they use this sort of thing mm -hmm. because it only takes a few people using it badly somewhere before everybody can't use it in that kind of a way because people would recognize it. I think that that's probably the most astute way I've, I've heard it put and, and definitely makes me feel a lot better about using digital trickery and, and adding it to my toolbox, you know, in sort of the same way that, you know, 50 years ago, you'd never have used a magnet because it would have been it would have been too difficult or bulky to use for, for what we would have wanted to, despite the fact that it can actually create those kinds of miracles. But now we've got magnet technology to the point where it's crazy thin and can do whatever we want. And so it sounds like, like the way that you guys are presenting this and the way you're, you're teaching people to use these kinds of digital aids is uh, still well within sort of a, a magic mindset, I want to say. Yeah, I think it's also about construction in the same way as i don't know a, a card purist might say oh well it's completely unacceptable to use a duplicate card you know that violates every principle of what magic should be mm -hmm. and there are definitely dumb ways of using a duplicate card because they scream duplicate card to people watching mm -hmm. and there are really clever nuanced subtle ways of using a duplicate card uh, same thing is true of stooges i guess same thing is true of pre-show in the mind reading world 
like all of these things are tools that can be used in a, a clever good way mm -hmm. or they can be used in a sort of overly blunt poorly thought through way uh, and one version of that's great and one version of that's not so great uh, i suspect the same is true of technological tools it's interesting because we we find ourselves using technological aids more and more in magic i, I think back to 10 years ago when some of the early pro mystic stuff was you know a thousand bucks and it you know created real magic but was very difficult and now the price on stuff like that has come down and you're seeing other manufacturers create those things i assume that we will begin to see more and more things like that in the digital world and as magicians we will have to continue to up our game whether it's from a storytelling or a presentation aspect or if we're going to have to develop new performance theories in, in order to incorporate technology that is not going away yeah, yeah. I, i'm just reminded of, i think it was luke germay who said if you want to kill a mentalist push them into the bath and watch them <laughs> so many so many different devices on their person you know oh yeah absolutely yes yeah, well sorry will i interrupted you there no no uh, no i was just gonna go say i think this ties in with something maybe you can elaborate on steve but one of the things which i think has been interesting is at the beginning of the project we were desperately trying to think what sorts of tricks might be possible in the video chat environment uh, and i think by the time we got a couple of months in we had realized that there are so many methods that are available in this space that you couldn't use elsewhere. And so many things become possible in an incredibly clean and direct way. But the question almost has stopped being what thing can you make happen and has started to be far more about why is that thing worth making happen? Like, what's the important thing about this? Why would you want to do this in a show rather than just can you do it? I think that that's a... Uh... It's an interesting because that becomes a very profound question that every magician has to begin answering for themselves at some point. And now in this case, it's almost the medium that is being forced to answer the question rather than the, than the individual magician. Yeah, I, th I think there's a lot, there's, there's a lot to still explore. I mean, one of the examples we used early on was the idea that, you know, when the first, very first YouTube video ever was a guy in the zoo saying that elephants have really, really, really long trunks that's the first youtube video <laughs> yeah. ever it's 15 seconds long and it's just like what is that that's nothing and we're at an equivalent stage with exploring some of these things you know like it's really early days for mm -hmm. the magic community to grapple with some of these you know some of these interesting challenges but we're very used as audience members we're very used to engaging with characters with the suspension of disbelief between the four edges of a screen but we're not so used to to having those things confront us in the real world at a wedding or in a bar or whatever it happens to be. So creating story and character and uh, otherworldliness in in-person performance can be quite challenging. And actually in some ways in within the four walls of the screen, audiences are, are ready and willing to accept it. Um, and we're here as entertainers to give them that, you know, and I, and I think that's an interesting uh, avenue as well. Yeah. It's, you know, it's interesting how sometimes that like, that barrier of the screen almost brings their guard down even further than it would be uh, when you're going to go do magic for them. It's uh, it's interesting. I, I wanted to uh, change this. We're all about out of time, and I want to change the subject one more time, uh, which was to discuss the charity element of this website because it's not often that someone creates such a fully fleshed out website with such interesting and varied content that's really addressing uh, a lot of 
profound things inside of a particular community while also providing them some value and then all of the money being donated to charity uh that's it's typically not how capitalism works and uh i'm curious uh what what are the charities that you're working with and and how did that come about and uh and what do we see for the future of the project um so will and i have have both been interested in in various charity uh, projects i suppose for a number of years uh, and particularly uh, the uh, a subject matter called effective altruism uh, which is something i've been very very involved in the last number of years and this is about applying reason and evidence to find the most effective ways to improve the world and um, so for a little bit of context and i know we're short on time but about a decade ago an organization called givewell uh, started a massive research initiative to identify the most effective charity programs in the world like worldwide and mm-hmm. um, these are, you know, that is the ones that per donation help the greatest number of the most needy to the greatest extent with the highest degree of confidence. And they've done about 100,000 hours of professional research and their data shows that the differences between charities, which most of us would assume are quite similar really, often come to about a factor of 100 or more, 100. So you wow. use charity A, yeah, it's it's absolutely, uh, it, and it's, it's really stark. And it turns out that the very best charities Uh, do extraordinary amounts of good per dollar donated, far more than you could ever think is possible with my little donation, you know? So it's incredibly important to give following the independently verified research Um, and not just to whichever organization kind of pulls at your heartstrings the most. Not that there's anything wrong with paying attention to that information as well, but just, you know, uh, it's good to look at the research. So accordingly, we're donating 100% of the proceeds from Video Chat Magic according to GiveWell's recommendations. Um, and it's, it's, it's really, it's very easy to get motivated when you start looking at how much is achieved mm-hmm. with what we're doing. So it's, it's not hard for us to be like, yeah, we're donating 100%, but like, if you, if you could see what, you know, what this actually means. So like one person's donations for the next month, for example, uh, you know, you're talking about three people on the far side of the planet, probably graduating out of poverty and having an increased quality of life. Like one of the key metrics is what's called consumption. So the amount you eat, Mm -hmm. the amount of education you get, the amount, everything basically. So you're looking at for one month's donation, there's an equivalency here. And we need to be really careful that we're talking about in in equivalences and averages. Mm -hmm. It's all pretty complex stuff, but uh, you're talking about taking three people uh, and giving them an extra years of education and that equating to 12% increase in consumption for their entire adult life. That's phenomenal. Like that is, and that's just one donation from one person for one month. So we're, we're really passionate about this. It's one of the, the core reasons we're doing this. When I sign up for this, is my entire subscription going towards this or is some of that subscription going yes. towards like maintenance fees and upkeep costs for server fees and things like that? No, it's all going to... Uh, it's all going to givewell.org. That's from there. It goes directly to the charities. That's amazing. And I think that's one of the lovely things about it is, as you've said, there are some really big names who've given us stuff. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of these people, I think, could have put out that idea as a you know a twenty dollar download somewhere as a standalone thing, and that would have been oh, fine. To be fair, would have gone for it. To be wow. fair, one or two of them did. There's a couple. There's a couple of products <laughs> on there that were, were released, and then they gifted them to us after the fact, which is really nice. Oh, Sorry, excellent. Well, go on. But yeah. So all of these people have given us this content, and they're not making anything from it. We're not making anything from it. The people who organise the hosting and so forth have very kindly said, "No, we'll cover the cost of all of that for you for the duration of this as well." 
That's really um, great yeah, to hear. One of the lovely things about it, I think, is as soon as somebody says, let's do this for a general good, mm-hmm. uh, then lots of other people are willing to jump on and say, yeah, I'll join you with that. You know, it's it's really great to hear that uh, you guys, that when you say all of the proceeds go to these uh these good works that it actually is all those proceeds. Cause I can't tell you how many times I've, I've found out about a charity where I find out that my subscription only like 30% of it goes towards the good stuff because the rest of the money has to go towards server costs and overhead and, you know, mailers and <laughs> awareness and marketing for the charity. So it's really great to hear that you guys sure. are doing that and uh, look forward to hearing more about it in the future. Uh, Steve, Will, thanks so much for joining me on the Penguin Magic podcast. And uh, can you. you just before we go, can you please tell everyone where they can find out more about Video Chat Magic and what you guys are doing and how they can subscribe? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So go to www.videochatmagic.com. And if you have any questions at all, just ping us an email and we'll get straight back to you as well. Um, it's a small community. We're all about Video Chat Magic. So we like to talk about magic. Uh, uh, over video so get in touch (laughs) and the one other thing to note is that the project at least in its current form is going to run until the end of October so up until the 31st of October anyone who wants to join will get access to all of the new content we're putting out and the entire back catalogue at that point we're going to pause things new people won't be able to join and we will be taking stock on how much time we can continue to spend on this Great. Well, thanks again so much for joining us. And uh, and go everyone who's listening to this, go check out videochatmagic.com. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. That's going to do it for this week, kids. Thanks to Steve and Will for the conversation, and thanks to you for listening. Video Chat Magic is only running through October, so be sure to check it out before they close it up. The Larry Fong article in particular is a very valuable piece of information on how to light yourself. I definitely benefited from some extra tips and tricks reading it that I now use in my own streams that I do on Twitch. On the show next week, I'm interviewing Tom Werner. He is the founder of the NGO Magicians Without Borders. Now, I've actually had some personal experiences with children who directly benefit from their work, and I thought it was really important to share the story of this organization with you. But that's for next week. On one thing that I've gotten a lot of messages about is when will Nick and I be back live on Facebook? And the answer is this week. Nick and I will be live this Sunday evening at 9 p.m. Eastern on the Penguin Magic Facebook page. Be sure to tune in because just like this podcast, we're going to be giving away some deals and discounts for those of you who tune in. As always, we're a weekly podcast, so be sure to like and subscribe as well as share your favorite episodes on the social media platform you are congratulating Academy of Magical Arts award winners on. If you wanted to reach out to me about anything on this week's show, please come to my house and finish screening in my back porch. The bugs are awful here. But if getting Tom Sawyer into manual labor isn't your thing, you can hit me up on Instagram at Eric Tate. That's at E-R-I-K-T-A-I-T. From me and everyone else here at the P3 Magic Studios, practice, practice, wear a mask. <laughs>